you know that scene in Friends with Benefits when Justin Timberlake's character hires a flash mob just to win Mila Kunis back? And then he tells her how he misses her and wants his best friend back. I mean, it's a pretty cute scene, I'm not gonna lie. But is it really that black and white though? I used to write my thoughts on paper. And then, I wrote my thoughts on Twitter. And then I thought to myself, hey, why not talk about your thoughts? My name is Sarin. And this is my podcast where I talk about things that keep me up at night. Welcome to In 3, 2, 1. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I know, another episode already? I don't know man, unemployment leaves you with a lot of free time. So, what am I going to talk about today? Well, let's talk about sex baby. You know, I'd sing that song, but if you know me well enough, you'd know that I can't sing for shit. So I'm doing all of you a favor, okay? Y'all better be thankful. Anyways, yes, sex. Or more accurately, casual sex. And the idea of friends with benefits. I'm gonna give y'all the most foolproof way to being in a friendship with benefits. But let's talk about how it became a culture though. It's common knowledge that millennials are way more open to hookup culture than our parents were. Why is that though? Well, I guess a key factor would be that our access to information has increased exponentially. The way we learn about sex and relationships has changed so much, especially in the last couple of decades. We're more open to the idea of sex as well as casual physical intimacy. Sex isn't as much as a taboo as it was a couple of generations ago. And that's exactly how it should be. I mean, sex is just sex, man. There shouldn't even be a discussion on whether or not it should be taboo. I mean, I understand that cultural sensitivities and social norms are there, but the way some people behave at the mention of the word, man. In fact, studies even show that millennials are actually having less sex than previous generations. So I'm sorry, uncle, there's no moral degradation that's taking place amongst today's youth, huh? Relax, chill. It's funny how... Baby boomers shame millennials for promiscuity when it's them who basically fuck the population crisis into existence. Us, on the other hand, we can't even get normal jobs. How do you expect us to get those kind of jobs? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, from an Asian perspective, we've always been pretty open about sex. I mean, you can point at the introduction of Abrahamic faiths and imperialism as the reason as to why we're so conservative now. But no, 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 I'm not going to start a shit song today. Although it is quite funny how the Eastern values we so proudly uphold were actually a result of foreign influences. But that's okay. And guys, it's not a sudden podcast without me getting into the nitty-gritty details of things. So yeah, ladies, when you're lying in bed next to your partner after hookup, you know, and they look you in the eye, and they smile, that special smile of theirs, you feel all those butterflies in your stomach. It's probably indigestion. Or maybe not. I mean, you might think that's just your heart. But here's what's really happening. You see, oxytocin, or the love hormone, is released during sex. Mainly during orgasms. So this is for women. The brain also inactivates the nervous system. Meaning that women don't actually feel pain. 
but just purely pleasure. I mean, this is what people say. This is what research says. And I guess it hurt once the wave of hormones subsides. By that split second, all they feel is just pleasure. And oxytocin is also released when you develop trust towards a person. And you see that dual role oxytocin plays? Yeah, that's what causes things to get complicated. So that influx of the hormone that happens during sex can be easily confused for love and women may get attached because of that. Now, I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you my opinion, it's just what research tells me. But men, however, are wired differently. It's not oxytocin that spikes up when they orgasm, but dopamine instead. Now, dopamine is the feel-good hormone. There's also a problem with dopamine. See, it activates a part of the brain that is closely linked to addiction. And maybe that's why men just keep wanting sex, you know? So they get a taste of it and they just want more. But why do men get attached though? Is it attachment or is it addiction? Or could it be possible that that addiction from sex is conflated with a need for, you know, physical intimacy or intimacy in general? I mean, it's said that men rarely develop intense personal relationships outside of their romantic ones. So I guess it's likely that the happiness and the feel-good feeling that they get after sex is misinterpreted as a sign of something special. Also, let's not forget that men barely think. So we'd probably think you're falling in love and then we want to get with them and then we realize halfway that we don't actually love them and it was just the hormones at the moment and then we dump them and I'm just making an overly general statement. I hope men's rights activists don't attack me for this. I mean, after all, they probably already hate me. Let's not give them extra material to work with, huh? So yeah, what comes after attachment, though? Well, expectations. And things get even more complicated. I mean, I guess there would be certain ground rules to expect when you enter a casual relationship. Stuff such as buying food, paying for the Uber or Grab. I guess it isn't wrong to expect these things, you know? You wouldn't want to be treated like just an object, right? I mean, yeah, it's just casual sex, but there still needs to be a level of respect towards the other person. Like, let's say someone came over to my place and we hooked up. I'd send them back if I had a car. But then again, this also depends on the individual. See, what I may deem as an act of respect and appreciation can be seen as a sign of me being attached to the other person. So yeah, things can get really confusing. And sometimes it gets even worse. You don't know what to expect and what not to expect. A one-night hookup becomes a four-day trip because of a needy partner. And then you're just like, what are we? And you know that what are we question? Yeah, it becomes a recurring character when it comes to non-exclusive dating. Non-exclusive dating is basically where y'all are free to see other people. Sort of like an open relationship, but perhaps with no strings attached, you know? Yeah, you might one you might begin to wonder actually where you stand in your partner's eyes. Are you the main hoe? Okay, I'm u- I'm referring to hoes as a non-gendered term here. So are you the main hoe, or are you side hoe number three? And how does that affect your confidence and self-esteem? Do people compare themselves with their partners, other friends with benefits? Do you think it's a good idea to share about your sex experiences with other people? To your friend with benefits. I mean, on day one, it might seem like a flex. But by day 30, I don't think you're doing anyone any favors. 
A friend of mine once told me actually that women are apparently great at being silent competitors in the sense that they do not tend to voice out their anger but instead work on becoming the mean hoe. I mean, that's what she told me. I'm not sure how men are when it comes to coming to terms with the fact that the person they're sleeping with is sleeping with other people. According to the same friend, we males don't take such news very well. I mean, let's be honest, we do tend to be pretty entitled when it comes to sex. You know, I actually didn't know that it was a normal thing to have more than one friend with benefits. I always thought that you were only supposed to have just that one friend, you know. See, this is exactly why I'm a virgin. (laughs) But then again, is it a good idea to sleep with multiple partners though? Forget about the risk of contracting STDs. That's a risk we all know about. But I think there might be another problem that arises. Do you all think it might be harder to settle when you've experienced so many moments with so many different people? Someone once told me that they find it easier to swipe right on a person when they use Tinder for a night, as opposed to using Tinder continuously for a month. It's like a weird form of choice paralysis, you know. I guess there'll be so much to choose from, it starts becoming hard to not become to not be picky. Look, I'm not slut-shaming anyone now, nor am I being against the idea of sleeping with multiple people. I think it's really important to discover what you may or may not prefer in a partner, either sexually or non-sexually. And the only way to do so is to, well, to experiment. You build your idea of your perfect partner through these interactions. It's just that if there are too many traits to choose from, where do you go from there? Do you pick someone who ticks the most boxes? But what if they come with a trait that you find extremely hard to ignore? Do you then discard the person? and pick the next best thing. And will you be satisfied with choice then? But most importantly, if you do sleep with multiple people, I hope you practice safe sex. In fact, even if you only sleep with one person, please, please use contraceptives. Like yeah, pregnancy is one thing, but the risk of STDs, man, that's really scary. (laughs) Okay, okay, I don't mean to scare you all. So let's move on to another question. Should you go out on dates with your friend with benefits? Is that a good idea? Or should things just be strictly physical? I mean, there's a huge risk of things becoming even more convoluted between the two of you. How do you adapt that change in dynamics? You know, you go from brushing your body against this other person all day long, and then you have to detach the moment you step outside the door. And let's not forget the other way around too. Spending all day outside doing sober, non-sexual stuff. And then the moment you get back home, it's lights out, clothes off. Although, I have been told that spending the day outside together builds this strong sexual tension that culminates in a great hookup session. So yeah, we live in an interesting time and age actually. Sexual liberation is a great thing, as long as we respect each other's choices. Yeah, actually, that's what I want to talk about now. See, sex is a personal choice. We're basically animals that has e- that have evolved to view sex as a requirement for pleasure. And we all have our biological needs, and they may come at different points of time. Slut shaming is pretty damn shitty, you know? And look, there's no shame in being promiscuous. If you like sex, then by all means have as much sex as you want, with whoever you want, and however you want. <laughs> 
a wink wink. See, sex, as long as it's in between two or sometimes even more legally consenting parties, shouldn't be a problem to anyone who isn't involved. I said legally consenting, remember that? But if you haven't had sex or don't enjoy sex, that's okay too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being a virgin. If you're wondering if you'll ever have sex, well, I can tell you that your time will come. I have faith in you. I have faith in myself too. (laughs) And if you're asexual though, all the power to you. That doesn't at all mean that that you are undeserving of a fun and possibly fulfilling relationship. And if you're wondering why you should be taking advice from a single guy, well, let me tell you this. Coaches don't play. But the most important question of all, how do we get the best out of a casual relationship? What's the best way to navigate the tricky terrain of friendship with benefits? Well, I also don't know. (laughs) 